0: Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we've worked with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. In this episode of the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show, we have David Hutt. David Hutt, a college prep specialist, brings over 21 years of experience in helping driven teens maximize their test score results. With a background in teaching high school students, David observed the stress and inefficiency of traditional exam preparation methods. Drawing upon his innate talent for creating effective strategies, he developed innovative approaches that enabled students to achieve high scores on college entrance exams with less time and stress. Impressed by the remarkable results his students achieved, David transitioned to teaching college prep classes focusing on individualized instruction tailored to each student's unique needs. His dedication and expertise have led to outstanding outcomes with 43 of his students achieving perfect scores and the majority scoring in the top 5%. Hi, David. Uh, Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be a part of the show with me here today. Yeah, it's great. I look forward to our discussion. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. David, my my first question is a light open-ended one. It's about your journey. It says uh, you've been teaching for about 20 plus years now. Uh, What's your journey leading up to the point when you decided you're gonna take up test prep teaching?
1: It was really almost the fact that I absolutely had a passion for, you'd appreciate this, entrepreneurship. And I am difficult, it's very hard for me to have a boss. It really is. Even if I can respect him or her tremendously, it just, I can't for lots of reasons. I'm a bit on the spectrum. I tend to be quicker than 99% of the people around me. So even when I'm trying to be polite, it's really difficult. So to be a test prep teacher is one of the things in the U.S. you don't have to be licensed
0: for. If you're good at it, it will show. Great. Uh, David, when you started off 20 years before, I assume it was not online when you started off. It was a classroom-based training. And uh, there's been a lot of transition, especially with the pandemic that happened a couple of years back or three years back. I think a lot of things changed online. So uh, how was that transition like for you? And what are the most uh, important things that you'd have to adapt? Well, I'm very good at
1: connecting with students, um, literally. And of course, when COVID came along, everybody or 90% of the world went online, as I did. And I found that I needed to put, I I tend to have a lot of humor because smiling and laughing helps to actually facilitate learning. It's been shown scientifically. It isn't just something that's nice to have a chuckle about. I was always good at that. I had to make more of an effort to get my students to laugh. And that kind of limited the uh, virtual distance between us as if we were actually together.
0: Right. So that was one aspect. Got it, so you're saying you did not face any challenges connecting with the students online just the way you did when it was not online? Well, yes, I did, as I said, as I said, I had to establish more of a
1: rapport. It's easier to do it face to face, right okay? You know that we can read people when we're actually in the room with them, and it's hard to read them just like you know I'm looking at you. It's not the same thing as if you were you know yeah. in, a, in a seminar with me right across the uh, the room, yeah, of course. the other thing is that. As, as the students have gotten on, um, there's a more difficulty with them in their, in their um, attention span for lots of reasons, social reasons, we can go into that, that's a whole other topic. So you need to catch the attention, A, because you're not physically there, and B, you know that because the lowering of the attention span, you need to have breaks, you need to wait 10 seconds. Normally I can just go on and on back and forth forever, but even good students today, need breaks if they've been been, uh, associating with social media in any way, you see? Right. Because everything is short, it's 30 seconds, you know that. I mean, the popularity of that wonderful Chinese thing, right? That we all uh, wonder if it should be legal in the United States or not, okay? What is that? It's 40 seconds, isn't it? TikTok. Yeah. TikTok is like 40 seconds.
0: That's one reason it's popular because that's the attention span of most of my students. I think probably understanding this particular thing will lead people to figure out a way to uh, hold attention of their students, maybe chunk it down, break it, break all their lessons down into bite sized lessons and, do you know, go about. Yes. And you have to have timeouts. I find that. I mean, I was able
1: when I first started 30 years ago to be able to teach um, a full 45 minutes or an hour even and then have a break. But here, I need two-minute bakes. As an example, one of my students uh, loves soccer. And so I'll make sure every 10 minutes I'll talk to him about that last game he had or he's practicing the bicycle kick just a bit. And then we can get back to the SAT or the ACT, you
0: see? Right. Very important. Right, right. David, I'm just going to go a little bit back and start off from the point when you transitioned from whatever you were doing before you started teaching the reason i'm asking is this is to just to be able to relate to people who are listening who might be doing something else but they're thinking of starting to teach So let me do that so i I had a job as a,
1: a drug prevention specialist at bronx high school of science which is one of the elite public schools that you need to test to get into in new york city so i was with some very bright people and i knew that a few of them went to test prep companies like Kaplan and Princeton Review. And I said, you know, I think I can do this really well. So I started with one or two kids that were really like me already. And I said, is it okay if I do this for free just to see how it goes? And I helped them. And then it became obvious that this was a passion that I could make money for and truly help students. That's that's a
0: transition. Great. The key here is to uh, when you want to start something new, do it for free, easy to find people for them to put them under you and then see if that works for you. Great. And, uh, exactly. And you know, that, you know, that there's a lot of people out there looking for shortcuts, but the good thing about freedom, if I can
1: just, well, can I just, uh, talk about that for another minute? The good thing about this freedom is that if you do fail at it, you haven't lost anything except a bit of time. Right. Right. As compared to putting a lot of money into a business that you're not sure you can do well in. Right.
0: Right. David, uh, I was uh, reading about the description that you've written for yourself on LinkedIn. And you say that, you know, you found uh, the methods that people used were inefficient and ineffective. Right. How did you come about to, you know, cross that Yes. Thank you for
1: asking. I was already a professional counselor. That's what I was doing at Bronx High School of Science. Right. And I know a great deal about psychology, both from my own particular struggles as well as you know just learning about it. Right. And so it was very clear to me that even then there had to be humor and there had to be a willingness to be where the student is, not where we are. Now, that sounds easy, but a lot of teachers just don't do that or they're uncomfortable doing it. I did not feel right at the start that I was better than my students. I might know more about the SAT, but they might know more about soccer. So I didn't I was looking at them straight across. I wasn't looking at them from from the heights on down. Right. And that's key. I would not advise anybody to, to get into test prep if they have any arrogance about them at all let them know their craft well, let them work at their craft, and then be happy when they can
0: connect with these students. Right. And you started off teaching to a group of students. You didn't start off doing one-on-one. Is that correct? Yes. So once I decided I wanted to do it, I
1: said, okay, now let me work with um, with um, Kaplan for a while. If I'm oh, going to do okay. this long term. Right. I need to learn everything I can from them as I'm teaching, right. and so it was like an it was like a paid apprentice, apprenticeship jag, and I highly recommend that for anyone else who wants to make test prep into a
0: lifetime business. So, is this during your You know, is this during which you found the ineffectiveness and the inefficiencies, uh, David? Which yes, yeah, Kaplan
1: is a very good professional organization. Okay. They, had, they, made a pre, they put a premium on intellectual brilliance, which is not the number one criterion for being a great test prep teacher. If there's not a natural love of students, don't do it. I mean, you know that already from lots of reasons. If you don't want to learn how to do it well, don't do it. One of the advantages I had, Jack, is I always looked for shortcuts in high school because I wasn't a great student. I wanted shortcuts. But shortcuts on the SAT and ACT is a blessing to the students. What I always tell them, I'm teaching you stuff that nobody else does. As long as it's legal, who cares? Right,
0: right. <laughs> and David, uh, some of the, uh, you know, test prep coaches that I've spoken to, it's, uh, you know, the successful ones have followed pretty much the similar path. You know, they've worked with somebody, like you said, paid apprenticeship, and then going out and solving for the inefficiencies that they found there but then uh, it's about it's about finding a balance between probably the scale and the quality as well right Uh, now as an individual how do you manage to solve that well i would say that um, as i got older i started to realize
1: um, that i didn't want to work with every student i didn't want to work with any of every parent so I would say giving you a percentage basis probably about 8 to 10% of the stu- of the parents and students that I could work with I didn't because either the parent really was was pushing the student into college when the student could make more money as a um, as a uh, electrician than as an English major you see right and also then because um the the student really you know was being pushed by the parent. And, it, and so what was the point in getting a great SAT score if, if it was likely that that student would fail in college? So I, I, I winnowed out, you know, a fair proportion of, of students. And so what I say now, if you ask me now, who, what kind of, who are you looking for? I would say great parents. And I define great as a, a parent who has a balance of love and freedom for that child, balancing the two.
0: Great. And how do you figure this out when you meet them for the first time? Is there any set of questions that you ask them? Yes. Yes, I do. So let's pretend that you have a son. So I'm saying Jag,
1: okay? Um, How important is it that you get your son into MIT or Caltech or, you know, a great Indian school? You see, that gives me a sense. Right. If I hear... I want them to go to the best school they can, whatever that is, I have a great parent. But if they really have trouble in school, we'll deal with it. I don't want a parent who is substituting that child for their own lack of, of, of college success. That won't work.
0: And I won't be able to help that child very much, honestly. Great. This is one of the most defining criteria for you. This this is pretty much it that seals the deal for you. Got it. Uh. David, when you started off, you said, you know, you were in the counseling and therefore you had access to students. And then you figured that you could do this. You went to Kaplan. And again, you know, you'd have had an audience, you'd be popular and probably word of mouth, you'd have got your students. This is how it would have started 20 years back. Did did acquiring students was always word of mouth uh, until the pandemic? Yes mostly. I've uh, I think I mentioned to uh,
1: your colleague that um I would win the wor- the world's worst marketer award. So word of mouth works very well because all I it gives me an in, my 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 website um for 15 years never got me one student. What it got me was a reaffirmation that I knew what the heck I was doing. Right. That's what I use it for. Right. And that's the only thing I use it for. Okay. But then again, you understand that a warm connection, a warm referral is worth 20 cold calls or 100 cold calls. So when I've really helped a student to do well, it's natural for that. I don't have to, you know, I usually don't have to ask. And they'll say, well, how can I help you out? I said, who do you know that, you know, et cetera, et cetera,
0: et cetera. Got it. And after the pandemic struck, it was all online, right? Uh, did you still stick to word of mouth, or did your geography spread and you had students across the country from? What I was doing
1: was working with Alignable, which you're familiar with, I think. You're not? No. Alignable is a very good network. It's a very good networking program because you get to know people. It's not like, and they do kind of a speed um, networking but the speed mm. networking is not to talk about how great a tutor I am or how great a uh a, a podcaster you are right it's to say jag what are you about you know what about your kids so it's it's an introduction we have 7 minutes okay this is how i've gotten the last 5 clients okay um uh, it's we have 7 minutes just to get to know each other and then you can follow up if you want to and connect it's 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 far better to me than linkedin linkedin doesn't even come close to Uh, the success i've had with alignable could you please spell that for me yes sure a-l-i-g-n-a-b-l-e oh alignable
0: okay great i've never heard of this the first time
1: i don't know if it's in india but if you wanted to make some money on the side start one start it
0: (laughs) (laughs) is that is that virtual or is that in person sort of the thing alignable it's no it's virtual but actually it's interesting because today uh, at noon
1: we had the first local alignable here in the Asheville North Carolina area which is Asheville's about a city of 100,000 and I'd say there's maybe another 30,000 around it so it's a small urban area and there were 24 people we're going to get together every two months and I'll be able hopefully to have once every three months have an actual physical meeting which I love you know Um, I also, are you familiar with BNI, Business Network International? I've been part of a couple of. Okay. I've been, I've been, I've been the educational consultant in BNI up until 10 years ago when I didn't work with it anymore. Obviously that was my, my job in the chapter, you know. Got it. And. uh, So through BNI and Alignable and referrals, that's like 99% of my students.
0: Wow. Okay. And, uh. How many days does it take to complete a student? You know from great, great
1: question. So again, let's role play really quickly. So my question to you as a parent is: the first thing we need to do is establish you and your wife, assuming you're together, which is not always the case. <laughs> you understand that you and your wife, assuming you both care about your your son and your son, the first thing we're going to do is take a few minutes um, to get together to establish what is the score that we want. Right. So you might say, "I want my son to get into Georgetown." I say, "Okay, fifteen hundred—that's our score." You see, Mm. and so then we can. Then I then what we do is I give him a test, initial test, and we see the difference between where he is in the fifteen hundred. And then I can tell the parents it'll take about this long if he works hard. That's how I do it.
0: Wow, got it. And you charge by the hour.
1: Yes. I find that's better because I find it's too easy to either be, be um, overcharged or undercharged if I charge, you know, on a basis. Here's 10 hours. Right, right. If the parents want it, I'll say fine. I say fine, but I don't think you want it because I don't know how long it's going to take Charles to get to that 1500. I don't know that. I've had 43 kids get perfect scores in the SAT, ACT, but most of them needed quite a while. Some of them didn't need that much time. If he starts out with a fourteen hundred, how I may, may only need two lessons to get him to the fifteen hundred you see right, and what I think and what I think jag that that most test prep students and and companies do bad, this has to be completely variable upon the student and family. It's unique, right it's totally unique, and you can't do this on a, on a mass basis and do as
0: success be as successful as I've been in terms of raising scores. Yeah, just the way you described, okay, you know what, this is his score and this is where we need to get him to. The, the gap is what you use to calculate yeah. how many classes you need. So, how accurate are you most of the times about, say, for example, you say your child needs maybe 10 hours or five hours? So, is that pretty much right? What it so, is? let me go on. So, let me ask a couple other questions. Right. So, I'd say, Jag, um,
1: Charles, on a scale of one to 10, how, how much does he want to get into that great school? Hmm. Give me a number. Right. And you might say seven, I say, okay. If you say four, it's gonna take <laughs> longer, you see. And you know your child, right? And let me just share some one of the tricks if I can. Please. So one of the little tricks is he's going to become the greatest guesser in the world and that's gonna gain him points. All I care about is the points. He'll have to learn guessing just the way he might have to learn geometry. Right. and he has to be willing to learn the guessing techniques Mm -hmm. and the timing as you probably know is huge i can spend a lot of time on the timing you know (laughs) and 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 again and there's also in terms of there's a few other tricks i have which i'm not going to go into at the moment but we can talk about it another time that make it really easy for the parent to have an idea where the how the child is doing for example right now it's um middle of may and so uh school is winding down here i imagine in india too And so the child is not going to be able to focus as much on anything. They tend to be a little worn out. Yeah. And you have to allow that. So I'm seeing a student um, um, Friday who is worn out, and I'm not going to expect of him what I'd expect over the summer. If you wanted to set up a massive uh, test prep program for me to run over the summer, right, where we had other teachers involved in all that, that would be probably at least 60% more successful than any program during the school year. Right. Because the way you learn the AP exam, right? The way you learn the hard exams in India is almost antithetical to the way you need to learn this test. You need to learn how to play Minecraft, not to come up with fancy words for the AP.
0: Right, right. You said uh, whatever you're going to be doing it in summer is going to be sixty percent more successful than when it is done during the school times. Okay. Yes,
1: assuming the student is willing to work in the summer, yeah. of course. Yeah. You know, if they're not, then you know,
0: don't bother. You know. Do you run those batches every year? Excuse me. Do you run those batches every year during the summer? Do you run these? Yeah, batches? I've done some. I've done a lot of successful summer workshops. Also, keep this in mind. If
1: we do a weekend workshop and that student is willing to commit to the weekend, they may not need any more tutoring. A weekend intensive, I've done at least a dozen times very successfully. Right. These are group classes you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But one of the thoughts I have in terms of what you do is that if we found, let's say, five really good teachers and myself, it's kind of senior teacher, if you will, we could work with 500 kids in a weekend have you done that david before not myself no i've always done it myself but now that i'm older i'm more willing to work with other people
0: <laughs> oh great okay have you succeeded in finding any so far
1: i haven't looked you know okay. um i'm fine you know but but they're out there
0: and again if you have access to them or we can talk about that another time that's fine oh yeah we can definitely do that i just spoke to a couple of them before you Uh, who are into SAT I think one of them was from the Chicago area fine yeah we can definitely talk about it later David when we started off this podcast you said you know you can help share all that you've picked up in the last 20-25 years of your experience about being a test prep coach right and in India in India it's just beginning you know probably say in the last five to ten years is when it is um, it's it's a thing being a trainer for SAT, ACT is a thing because a lot of Indians are trying to go to the U.S. to study. And in the last five years. Yes, I'm aware of that. Yes. Very bright people in their late 20s, early 30s have taken up this as a careers and a lot more of following. So uh, mm-hmm. what do you what can you share with them for them to be successful? And is there a chance for them to also capture market from the U.S.? Um, not so much because the U S is
1: changing because now a lot of colleges in the U S making this optional, although actually that's a positive because if, it, if the student wants to show there, it's kind of like wanting to get a job. If you can show an extra, um, a point on your resume, that's going to help get you the job. Right. You say,
0: right, right, right.
1: um, what I would say is that, um, Indian Americans, I have found to be very concerned about price. But once we've established the price, we do really well, okay? Um, which is why um, if this can be done, what I'm thinking of is this can be done if you had, say, Indian um, folks and Indian Americans together, that would be a really interesting class, you know? Right, right. Okay. I don't think that's I don't think that's ever been done that I know of. I mean, perhaps, but I haven't heard of that being done. I've not heard of something like that as of now. Uh, I understand, but the other thing is the other thing is if you have someone who is middle class or lower but willing to work their rear end off, which I'm sure you know, many Indian students. Yeah. There's something else that I'm going to bring to the table, and I can't talk about it in two minutes. Not because I'm unwilling to; I just can't. Right. Which is the fact I've taught I've I've taught sociology and I understand the sociology of education. And so if they're gonna get into an elite school at MIT or Harvard or Stanford, right? And they're Indian the middle class, it is just as important as the SAT that they understand how to fake being successful so they're comfortable with their, um, with their cohorts in the freshman year. That's huge sociologically, right? you see? Because I've seen too many bright kids flunk out because of social reasons, not because of... They didn't know the language. There's a certain language that, that all, all upper-class people have. Right. You see? And, and and even the way that they act and how they think about things and the whole issue of, um, of, of what's proper to say now socially and uh, all of that kind of political stuff, you have to navigate yourself through it so you don't have people on the extreme start to come at you, you see, which they will. And so that's that's almost a course in how to navigate your freshman year at an American university, you see. And it's important from your point of view if you're trying to help Indian students
0: to get here. Great. Uh, yeah, this also looks like this could well become part of their SAT curriculum here. I mean, if the trainers are aware of all these things. And this the fact story, it's- that it's new, Jag, excites me, you see. They
1: can now learn to do it the right way and not the way that Princeton Review and, and Kaplan and a lot of the other big companies here have done, which has been okay,
0: but not as great as it could be. Right, right. But uh, this cannot be solved with just thick skin, no matter how thick. Is that? That's right. Is that a That's right. Okay. You've got
1: to look at the sociology of it. You've got to look at the psychology of it You got to look at the understanding that somebody from again, I'm talking middle class. The super wealthy in India won't have as much trouble at all coming here to the U.S. Obviously, you understand that, right? Right. Okay. It's kind of the same language, but the hardworking kid that you and I are probably concerned about, who really wants to change, you know, make a real great life for himself or herself. um, Yes, um, I might even want to work on setting up a whole course about the sociology of American colleges. You know, if, if that could be a helpful thing, but that's important because I've seen too many people. I've worked with some Nigerian kids mm. who were absolutely brilliant, but because they really came from a lower class Nigerian, you know, it was so hard for them in college, you know, just to adjust to see the differences in, in blacks in Nigeria and blacks in this country. They thought they would be brothers. They turn out to not necessarily get along with a lot of them. You understand. Right. But that stuff they didn't know.
0: I mean, they weren't taught that, you know. Wow. This is this is certainly a new uh, challenge. Uh, not only do they have to clear SAT and ACT, but after clearing that, wow, there's another challenge that is waiting for some of the students in the universities to face. And right. But you see, from your point of view, in terms of what you do, it's easy to put that
1: in one course. Yeah. Which I think could be about, would, 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 it would have to be, in certain ways, technically, the best SAT course in India, because nobody else is doing it because this program is so new. Absolutely. Obviously, over twenty years, thirty years, I've had the opportunity
0: to look at these things. You know, now, this is I've spoken to a lot of test prep trainers, but this topic I haven't heard about anybody talk. Maybe you know, you've got a great opportunity here to collaborate. Uh, you know, to collaborate with a lot of trainers in India, because even the trainers in India yeah. wouldn't have this experience because they have only been in India teaching SAT and ACT, right? Exactly. So they have no idea what's happening. I know right? some. Yeah, I have, I have a
1: good friend in um, um, in southern India. I forget the name of the town. Tirumalusu. Am I pronouncing it right? You know, what I'm talking about Tirupati? Tirumala, Tirumalu. It's a long. It, it's like the. It's a mountain that uh, Ramana Maharshi taught on. Oh, Tirunamalai. So I have a friend. Yes, yes. Thank you. I'm I'm terrible with that. Anyway, you know. Um. So I, I've talked to him a little bit about the culture there and how different it is. Um. But one thing I want to share. Uh, I love to compliment. So you're going to get a compliment. 98% or some number of Indian people, if somebody gets hurt on a little motorcycle or whatever, you know, driving around the whole town will stop and help them. Yeah. This is a cruel country compared to that. And those kids better know it. Mm. You see what I mean? Got it. Got it. Yeah. I don't want them coming here and thinking it's going to be the way it is there. The culture is very different. In that way, you are far superior to the United States. But don't tell any other Americans I told you that.
0: <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's a balance of everything, right? I don't think today there, there is the balance anywhere. Everybody are lacking something or the other. And, uh, That's right. It's about- Everybody's imbalanced. Yeah. David, uh, you've taught a lot of students. What are the most common challenges that you see students face while they're on the journey to prepare the SAT and ACT? for the
1: really bright kids who are in APs they don't they still use AP thinking in trying to do well on the SAT I'll give you one tiny example and I hope not not too many of this not too much of this gets stolen cuz I hope we can work together but whatever <laughs> I'll give you one little example okay sure for example on SAT 1 the original first SAT after the SAT changed okay there's an article, uh, there's a reading article about Japan in the 1920s. Okay. Okay. What I've told my students just actually two days ago when I was going over this, I said, you have to understand, there will never be a negative answer about Japan in the 1920s. Anymore, they will be, and there'll be about Native Americans or climate change or Indian American relations or any of that. It's only going to be positive because the SAT is a business. Mm. Don't think of it like this objective test. It's not. That's one example of many.
0: Wow. Okay. So you're saying there's no right or wrong answer. It's about what is expected as an answer. Is that what you just said? You can eliminate lots of answers. Okay.
1: For being for various reasons. One is for being politically incorrect. Okay. This is one reason I've gotten those 43 perfect scores. It didn't happen just because, you know, it happened. We really worked at trying to get rid of wrong answers. And I would say, Jack, about of those 43 students, probably at least six or seven only got a perfect score because they could make great guesses that I've helped them with And on a couple of questions,
0: you see. Got it. So, wow, this is, uh, you know, uh, you're just saying... Knowledge is one thing. Yeah, you just said it. The way you learn from AP is different. The way you look at SAT and ACT is completely different. Completely and utterly different. This looks pretty much like a game that you need to learn the rules. Yeah, and one theory. more
1: point. Yeah. Girls in general learn different than boys in some ways. Not all, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a different way to work with girls than to work with boys. Wow. Okay. So there's certain little things I'll share with boys that they're comfortable with. It's kind of like the intense sports, male or whatever, you know, kind of thing. And they like that. And it's not, and of course there are are women that are just tremendous athletes, but still it's a different mindset. Um, It's encouraging women to, to attack it because it's not hurting them. They're not hurting anybody, you see, but I want them to attack it with a certain kind of masculinity, you know that has given boys an advantage even though they're not as smart as the girls in college they tend to do about as well right because the tests skew towards intense test you know hit hit the test you know what i mean yeah rather than just kind of you know you know play with it and 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 not and and be to be aggressive women have girls have to be the girls that have gotten the perfect scores have generally learned to be
0: more aggressive in taking the test got it got it david David, uh, you also mentioned an important thing about you know being warm is way more important. David, uh, before I continue, do you have a, a time that you need to stop at? Any? Yeah, we have about fifteen minutes. About the ten of, okay. Or, or in your case, it would
1: be what they have the half hour or whatever it is.
0: Fifteen minutes. From so now? about
1: three fifty my time. So we have about another
0: ten minutes. Yeah. We have another ten minutes. Okay, got it. Yes. And okay. One common, thing, and I'm happy
1: to come back. By the way, I'm happy
0: to come back. So, if we want to continue this, that's great. So, go ahead. Sure. One of the things that most commonly, you know, students face is the anxiety right before taking a big test. Uh, I'm sure you face. How do you, you? can solve when people don't understand concepts, but how do you solve this anxiety problem? How do you not let students get succumbed to anxiety? So I use my quantum physics knowledge here, and
1: I say, you know what? Um, there's only this moment because time itself doesn't really exist. So I'm calming them down and I'm saying it's this moment that matters. And we talk about how to let go of the previous section. Okay. Right. right. Just, just let it go. Don't worry about it. It can't help you now. And so I get them to say, yes, whatever I did in English is not going to help me on math. Just to say it helps them. You see, that's just one little thing. But as a counselor, of course, I have a lot of stress uh, you know,
0: suggestions for them, stress reduction suggestions. Like exercises or, you know, some breathing techniques? Yeah. Like okay. That. Like
1: one other small thing. Okay. The the week before the test, I want them to eat as if they're training for a marathon. Wow. Okay. Because, because it's a long test, they need to train for it. Right. And we work on that. Right. You see? Right. If you're committed to it, you can have like a hat, you can have like three pieces of cake Saturday night after the test, you know, <laughs> Got it. you know, you, you can celebrate then. And that's another, that's another thing. So I encourage my students to plan a celebration after the test and to the parents to do something really nice for them, whatever that might be for them.
0: Right. David, uh, I would like you to validate this. I came across this trainer who said, you know, in the preparation, in the lead up to SAT or ACT, there's a peak. And he said, "You know, peaking uh, in your preparation at the right time is important. Peaking too early or peaking too late is—is is that a thing? It doesn't even make sense to you." To some people, I mean, it's not an absolute.
1: Right. It may be true half the time. I don't know. You see, the word "what does the word peak implies? It means that you're getting tired of taking the test. So let me give you my outlier mm, talk, okay? Right. So I had one student. I had one student who wanted to go to Harvard. And she was determined to do what she had to do. Mm-hmm. She took Jag fifteen full ACT tests and eighteen full SAT tests. Wow! In a matter, and it of- wouldn't shock you to know she got. Wouldn't shock you to know she got into Harvard, would it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't come as any surprise. So
1: peak depends. Peak depends upon the individual. Right. You see, we in our ivory towers, we're trying to make judgments about kids. You can't make judgments about kids. They're all different. And it's so easy to make like a sweeping generalization so you can make money from a book or a course. But it's not right.
0: Got it, got it, David. So uh, after, you know, you have a conversation with the parents and then, you know, you decide, okay, this is the number of hours it's going to take. Has there been a situation, you know, where uh, a student, when they began they were on track, but during the course of your training, they just fell off and they drifted off and you had to let them go in the middle. And how do you deal with those? Do you try and convince them, motivate them back? Or you're just like, you're like, I, that's not my job? Well, a little of both. So I'll meet because it, it, cause a parent is
1: paying for it, except in rare cases. I've worked with adult students who have multiple choice tests, but we're not worrying about that now. Right. So... I'll talk to the, I'll talk to the uh, adult or adults, might be one, it might be both, and the student. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell them what I see. And I'll say, what do you see? And so it's, it'll kind of evolve that the student says, I really, whatever. And the parent says, okay, go to community college or whatever. So we'll see where it goes. I have no sense of whether that should be or not. Because some students get tired, as I said, in May, right? Mm-hmm. They'll right. come back in July and be strong because they have, they're not, they don't have
0: any other intellectual things they have to be doing. Got it. David, uh, before anybody starts off their own test prep center, right? Like say after working for, like the way you work with Kaplan and then you started off, but that was some time back, but today everything is online. What are some of the bases that these individual test prep coaches need to cover up? Well, here's the thing. You have to decide... First of
1: all, there aren't a ton of people who can really do read, uh, math and English well. So I like to say that I'm bilingual. You see? Consuming I can math speak is math and I can speak English. Right. Don't pretend that you're good in both when you're not. And then hire somebody or work with a partner who's really good at the other, A, and really enjoys it. So if you don't enjoy math and reading, don't, be a, don't do the whole thing. It's not that there's that much you have to learn, but if you don't enjoy it, it's going to show. And you're not going to be successful,
0: or at least not at the level you want to. Right. And uh, as far as getting students, you've said, you know, for you, it's only been referrals. And uh, how much time? like let's referrals, say, yeah. What is the percentage of time that you spend on getting students as opposed to you spend uh, time teaching them? Right.
1: See, I don't separate the two. It's it's fair. So, because when I'm on a I'm enjoying chatting with people. You see, right, right. It's not like I'm looking upon that. This is hard work. I can't stand it. If I don't want to talk with somebody, I don't talk with them. Um, because, as I said, I'm looking for great parents. Great parents tend to be interesting people. Tend to be open. Tend to be thoughtful. You know, like a, like some of the parents of my homeschoolers, of course who've gone out of their way to try to give a better education to their students. Right. So basically I'm at the point of my life. If if I don't like you, I'm not going to try to pursue you and I'm not going to separate kind of, this is business and this is chatting because they go together. Right. I mean, you already see, I love what I do. It's not like, uh, you know, the saying, you know, if you, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. That's how I feel. I, I enjoy talking about this to you. It's fun for me.
0: Great. Okay, David, great. Uh, I think most of the things that I wanted to ask you uh, from the point of, say, how do you acquire students or, you know, the techniques that you employ and stuff like that. If we have to do another part, I'd like to just spend a lot of time uh, talking with you about techniques, mostly uh, addressing specific situations. Uh, you see, so that is something that I'd be interested in. But let's keep in touch on uh, LinkedIn just the way we did. And uh, we can have another part two as well. And um, about the sociological course that you said, have you developed a course uh, so far? As it, has it have, have you taught that as a subject? Have I what? I'm sorry. Have I what? Have you created a course or have you taught it as a subject? Well, I
1: have, the, a, I have another course. Let me talk about it. We have a couple of minutes. Okay. I have a course which I'd love to do with you which is called The Belief Wars, okay, Okay. Okay. incorporates quantum physics and sociology and counseling and psychology and philosophy into why is it that we are engaged in belief wars, you know, in this country and certainly in India too, you know, like everybody seems to be almost a prisoner of their own beliefs. Right, right. And that is a mini course I'd love to possibly do with you guys at some point. So that's, that's kind of, that comes from all my experience in trying to kind of be a moderator and being able to see two sides of things also is written in my hundred poems that I've written. So, Sweet. but that's what it comes in. If they, I don't know how, to what extent there is that, that in India, I think it's extreme in this country. It is, but it I is really it extreme exists. here also.
0: It is, it is all about right. belief. Us. So
1: that is a course. So that is a course that you folks can do. And I might, what would be great is to code co-host it with an Indian, um, Indian intellectual who is also concerned and is also sees two sides to things and kind of gets pelted from both sides you see
0: <laughs> sure David and would you also be interested to do the uh, sociological thing that you said this to you know the
1: yeah yeah that 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 we could do as as like a one lesson thing I guess you know that that doesn't have to be a long course I think that there's some material that I, I remember having from a few years ago that was talking specifically about that, that a sociologist was studying that in terms of c- people from foreign countries coming to colleges and did a whole study about that. And the certain words that they, they had to stay, say at that time that were OK and the certain things they did that were considered uh, horrible and that students didn't want to talk to them, all that kind of stuff. But that's changed in 10 years. You see, I looked at that about 10 years ago. And it's totally changed now but it still exists but i can give you an overview of that you know in terms of stuff to look at if i were the student uh, the parent of a student coming from india to the united states
0: right because uh, what i can do david is immediately maybe uh, it's a ready thing i can like talk to people and if you're interested i can have you connected and then maybe you know they'll organize all the logistics you'll just have to come in as a guest speaker
1: right and let them. me just be frank what i'd love to do is do something where for a small amount, not what probably you're worth or I'm worth, we can do, you know, a small thing and then see, and we can expand it. Of course. And we can okay. kind of make it better. Sure. That's probably the best way to do it rather than do some vast thing. I'm like, here's a hundred SAT tutors and I'm going to teach them, you know? Not that I couldn't, but you know what
0: I'm saying? No, no. I've, we we'll start it off as a small pilot and you know, I will uh, six. Yes. Text- That's what I would like. So I'd like a small pilot. When we get together, you'll talk to me about that.
1: So I hope you've got something from everything I shared. Yes, yes. yes. You asked some very good questions. I appreciate that. And Thank you, um, You're welcome. And as I said, I think I have a passion now almost more to teach teachers to become great tutors because that's easier to do, you know, than the way a lot of the students are these days. You know? No,
0: that's, that's literally the multiplied effect that you would, provide because you know you've got a ton of experience and if you can spread it to teachers they're going to like transmit it to so many more students which you may not be able to and particularly
1: to because of what you said of how new the sat prep industry
0: is in india
1: that it's just starting and i'm hoping that partly through my efforts a lot of it can go in a better direction than sat and kaplan uh, kaplan and princeton
0: review and all the rest of the uh, big boys over here Definitely, uh, you know, I'm going to go back and maybe, you know, come back to you with a proposal or two, David. We will keep in touch. That'd be great. Anyway, it was wonderful talking to you. And uh, i will talk soon. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Edison OS, a no-code ethic platform to operate an online education business. Knowledge entrepreneurs can use Edison OS to sell online courses from their own websites, manage online masterclasses, launch mobile learning apps, sell online practice tests for competitive exams, run online learning communities, digitizing their offline tutoring business, use it as a learning management system, and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce.